Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and I have a special guest today, Shawnee O'Grady. Hello, hello. Did I get that right, Shawnee? Yeah, let's go with that. This Week in Production is produced by Art Aldridge. The thoughts and opinions expressed here are undoubtedly his own. You can reach Art at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. This is Don McGee. To book me for voiceovers, please call 908-451-6760. Thanks. So this is um, slightly different than the way I normally do guest interviews because you you contacted me and you said, hey, I love the podcast, would like to be on. Normally when I have guests on, it's either someone I know or someone I've pursued. So this is a, a unique experience in the sense we've got a guest that um, you reached out to us and that's pretty cool i just yeah i appreciate your receptiveness to this and you know just trying to connect with other industry professionals that have a a lot more years in the game than i do and work in facets that i have worked in but do not have as much knowledge as i was i would like you know i really like to round out my swiss army capabilities whether that be learning more about live stream which i've done a good part of or just even marketing myself or spending more time behind a mic or in front of a camera i just i'm always trying to learn new things to add to the toolkit. So I looked a little bit at your social media stuff and I, and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like your main um, core skills are photography. Is that, would that be accurate? I would, that's funny. That's, that's like the seed that planted first when I was in high school, I learned on 35 millimeter film. I learned in a dark room. I learned through, you know, the enlarger process and stop bath and fixer and all that. But at the same time, I did learn video, uh, like TV production, video and editing on linear systems, you know, with the big knobs and that whole situation. Um, and that kind of birthed my love for, um, just visual media in general. And since then I've branched out and, you know, professionally work in editing, photography, videography. I've done work on film sets. I've produced and directed for TV shows, worked on a lot of commercial ad campaigns. So I've kind of rounded out this skill set that kind of allows me from day to day to kind of pick and choose depending on who's hiring me on what it is I'm going to do that day, whether it be to, you know, photograph a conference or a lifestyle shoot or work a major event as a videographer or produce and direct and DP, you know, a sizzle reel for a TV show. It just, it it always changes. You're like, like everybody, you're a a slash. You can do this. You could do that. You can do what is uh, necessary to keep working, I suppose. Yeah. It's funny. It's that's like such like the LA thing. Unfortunately, it's like, Oh, I'm a model and an actress and a yoga instructor and a fitness coach and influencer i'm not those things but like i guess that is kind of like the very la um you know job description but a a slash yeah i like that i'll take a slash i don't know if you're a football fan or not but i remember i'm a pittsburgh steelers fan and back in the uh in the 90s they had a quarterback cordell stewart that they called slash because he could be a quarterback or he could run or he could be a receiver i do remember cordell stewart so I think that's where the term slash, I, it's the first time I heard it used uh, that way. And I think it's very fitting for people in freelance work because you do want to 
<laughs> pay your mortgage every every month or my rent yes or your rent yes <laughs> so you're in LA but you're you were telling me earlier that you're an east coast guy tell me about your your start at a college i guess and what was your first job and and uh how it progressed i've had a very kind of like non-traditional i feel um career as a visual independent freelance you know, media professional, you know, a lot of people that I know had the good fortune of, you know, whether they, they went to a school that, you know, had like a really concentrated program, they were either to get, they were after college able to get placed, whether in a job or, you know, in an agency or with a crew or something, and were kind of able to climb the ranks from like PA to AC to first AC to cam op to dp and so on and so forth you know that's kind of like the one like film trajectory right especially that i hear a lot about out here in like los angeles and being in dc that's not as much as like a traditional career path a lot of people that work in you know visual media will do broadcast traditionally dc new york you know very traditional old guard broadcast towns and then on you know, the linear side of that, you'll have a lot of other broadcast work like live events or conferences, which is, you know, big business in DC, especially. And then you'll have like the other, you know, kind of subset, which will be like wedding videography. Those are like kind of, you know, in my opinion, like the three kind of big businesses in DC, aside from corporate. How this falls to me is, when I graduated in 2004, I went to University of Dayton and I did everything I could at Dayton to basically round out my skill set. I was a program director at the radio station. I had a radio show. I had a TV show. I did independent study. I was double majoring in photography and um, electronic media. But at the time when I graduated in 2004, just to date myself super quick, everything literally changed like a month before I graduated where I'm like taking my final exam on linear systems. And then premiere 1.0 came out like the month or two before I graduated. And then the advent of DSLRs came out like a year or two, probably later, probably like two years later with like the rebel, I feel was like kind of like one of the first to kind of like get out there. And a lot of, um, the, well, all of the technological advances I'd learned have completely, completely went obsolete. But at least like the core of, you know, how to frame a subject, lighting and white balance and finding interesting people and compositions like that always, you know, kind of stays the same. That's the foundation. So I say all that to say this, that when I graduated college, you know, I'm very much into music. I'm very much in culture and arts of whether it be the Washington, D.C. history or just, you know, food culture of the world really anything. I have so many varied interests. And at the time as a very young, impressionable you know, young man that was very much into music, especially hip hop music. DC has such a rich musical culture that some people know on the surface, and but a lot of like musicians know the contribution and how big it was, especially to jazz. Jazz in, in Washington, DC in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s was, I mean, gospel. And that tradition carried into the late 70s, which was go-go music, which was founded by Chuck Brown, which is a combination of gospel and funk and call and response, things of that nature. And then that gravitated into the hardcore scene, which was proliferated mainly through uh, LA, New York, and Boston, but really has a lot of, of its roots because of Ian McKay in Washington, D.C. But no one talks about D.C. hip-hop scene. 
and I was really into hip hop at the time. You know, my show on the radio station was a hip hop show and not just the flashy stuff that we would see on then MTV or what you would hear on like bubblegum top 40. This was, you know, independent hip hop. Some would dub it quote unquote underground. And there was a very burgeoning scene that I didn't know about, but I wanted to be a part of. So I bought my first camera. It was a Sony VX2100 mini DV tape. And a buddy of mine, Solomon Taylor, helped me build out a custom PC for it. I bought Adobe 2.0, I think, at the time, which you could actually buy it instead of doing an annual subscription. <laughs> and uh, I basically just kind of hit the ground running. I started looking in like the city paper for events and just started showing up with a camera on U Street, which was like our you know, Lower East Side, essentially, you know, it's where everything was happening. It's it, in the in the 30s, 40s, 50s. It was dubbed Black Broadway, Howard Theater, Bohemian Caverns, Twins Jazz Club, uh, just so many uh, coffee house. I mean, there were just so many venues and institutions that had been around for a while. And those were being appropriated by the hip hop scene. So I really just hit the ground running. And I was under the impression of trying to make the definitive documentary on what is the Washington, D.C. hip hop music scene. Very starry-eyed, 22-year-old young man out of college with hopes and dreams. And I really just started doing that between Baltimore and the D.C. area. And through that, I was able to meet a lot of different people in the music scene locally, but also had a lot of ties in New York. So I did that for a couple of years, met some people, and that turned into meeting a good friend of mine, Tim Kostenko, a.k.a. Timmy Grins. And we end, ended up starting one of the first like internet TV shows called The Breakdown. And what The Breakdown was, this is like 07, 06, 06, 07. And what we did was, it was, if you remember MTV once again, it was like Yo MTV Raps, where we would have guests come on and then we would show videos. But the guests that we brought on, I mean, they could be somebody like pretty high, like, you know, in the, in the public, like Method Man from Wu-Tang Clan, but we would have other people like Merce or Swollen Members or people that were of the independent hip hop scene. And this show grew exponentially very, very well. This is before social media. This was, you know, really one of the first of its kind. And it really grew organically and it burgeoned into a couple other TV, or a couple other Internet TV shows that took me through more music, you know, and video kind of careers. And uh, I, I basically, I'm going to put a period at the end of that sentence where I basically lived in that world for a good five or six years, right out of college, not really making any money, but just kind of running around doing odd jobs. Also on set, you know, I'd grip here for short films and music videos and do photos here, but not really professionally or help on a wedding here. And everything kind of ended up changing around 2010, 2011. But that was really the first five years of my career was really just hitting the ground running, figuring it all out, meeting people and connecting with people. And I'm still friends and work with actually some of those people today. And Tim is actually down the street in Venice. Hopefully I'm going to meet up with him uh, today, but we're still good friends and he's a New Yorker. You know, that's interesting because we have some parallel um, universes running between the beginning of our careers because I also had some start, not in rap so much, but uh, heavy metal and pre- MTV, even on uh, community access in New York, we used to have a, a public access channel called Channel J. Had a lot of weird porno stuff on it, but it was uncensored public access. And we had a, a heavy metal show on there and similar things. But I 
and I don't know if you had this experience, but as I was trying to figure out, you know, where I was going to be, because I was doing this in, in like college. And then when I graduated, trying to figure out, you know, how do I make money? Because I wasn't making money at that stuff. And I went into the broadcast route. I had a, uh, a friend of a friend who uh, worked as a field producer for uh, one of the network sports divisions. And I would shoot a lot of uh, NFL interviews and sports interviews at the stadiums before the big games. And I sort of got into broadcast that way. Did you have a similar sort of, oh, okay, this is great, but how do I make a living now? Art, I'm really glad you say that because older me would have go if I can go back in time and, and talk to younger me, it would balance your art and your passion with things to pay your bills and work professionally. I would have really gone into a more concentrated mindset and figured out a way to get a traditional job and then balance the passion that I wanted to do, what I wanted to do with that. And that was probably one of my biggest missteps. I mean, or, you know, it could have been the greatest investment that just took the longest to germinate and, and bear fruit. But I, when, when I talk to people now, like I spoke at my niece and nephew's school like a month or two ago, and I told them, I'm like, find what you love. Like, if you love doing TikTok videos from your house, do that. But also, like, find something that will progress your, you know, professional career. It, you don't have to be known as you like you can have it both ways. You can be this during the day, like Batman, you know, you could be this during the day and you could be this at night and you could, you know, break that up and, and make money that way. And I, that I, I wish I, I had done that or, you know, rounded out a business plan. Like I never really thought of myself as a business until actually recently, it, which is crazy, but I, um, that's what I would have done. I, I would have found a better way to practice my craft and make money professionally, whether it be in broadcast or even in weddings or conferences or whatever it is. I just would have done that at an earlier age than I started really doing more of that around 2010, 2011, when I was like almost 30. What is like, if you were trying to define like the perfect work for you, like the the type of work that makes you sort of the most balanced what would that be i still have dreams of you know i am still star-crossed you know in a lot of ways i mean which is kind of you know why i live here you know i moved out here to work in entertainment to work with entertainers to make money scratching that itch like i was 22 again you know but thank god i know now what i didn't know then is what i just said is you know you have to find that healthy balance between doing work for money but still within your industry and still using the tools that you've learned, but also balancing with the things that you want to do. Um, so, you know, ideally, like where I would be like right now is to have a little bit more structure. I live a very jazz lifestyle. Everything is fusion and freestyle. And I have to constantly book flights, cancel them, look at shoots, cancel them, move them a day. And just play this this Tetris, you know, with my schedule in my life. And I'm grateful that I'm able to do that and, and have a career. But I would like to find some more structure. And, you know, ultimately what I've been trying to do the last couple of years uh, during the pandemic is I, I'd like 
a vehicle to sell. I'd like a piece of IP. And I found very early when I moved to Los Angeles six years ago that the only way to really, there's three ways really to kind of get ahead in this industry. You can be born into a royalty, you know, your dad or your mom or somebody is in the industry and they help bring you up through the ranks. And a lot of those people do have a lot of, you know, talent, but it's the star power that kind of helps usher them, you know, forward. Two, you could be, you know, at a 7-Eleven and you run into your favorite, you know, entertainer and they like you or you or you strike up a conversation and then boom, you know, you get the Midas touch and and you've been, you know, ushered to the top. And the third way is creating IP. And that could be a screenwriter. That could be even a TikTok influencer that finds their niche and is able to proliferate it or writing a TV show. So I have been trying to push a, a TV show, a travel food TV show, which are two things that I love very much and I'm very passionate about and is a very, very hungry, pun intended, market for it that I would like to be a part of. I would like, I, I feel that's the that's kind of like the next ascension, hopefully in my career. I love being a Swiss Army, Sean. I love running around. I love working with entertainers one day or a 5013C that's, you know, propagating a positive message to others while I'm using my craft to help tell their stories or working with a friend to help get them headshots to continue their professional career, whatever it may be. I love that very much. But those are like kind of sprints and I need a marathon and I want a marathon. And I think if I had something like my own IP, if it goes one season or 10 seasons, I think that would bring about and attract other things that would also version and umbrella my career, whether it be into features, another TV show, or a mentorship group or teaching, whatever it may be, I think that would be the way to kind of, um, you know, ascend my career and, and also give me more structure. I mean, what has changed? I know everything has changed. I mean, you say 2011, and there was a, you know, little bit of recession in in the early 2000s that affected my business a lot with corporate and uh, it changed and then it changed again with COVID. For you, like what's the change you've seen in your business since COVID? So since COVID, I, I'm one of the very, very lucky ones that actually like blossomed during COVID. I, um, you know, since I moved here and ever since really in life, you know, one of my personal psychological hangups is I've always felt behind the eight ball. I've always felt last. I've always felt like I'm catching up and, you know, just always have these mental roadblocks and hurdles, especially landing in Los Angeles where everybody's a slash. You know, you feel like you're not doing enough and there's always so much happening. Whether you're walking back from the coffee shop, the sidewalk is blocked and there's mohos everywhere. And you're like, someone's shooting a movie on my block. Why can't I get involved in this? So when all that shut down, my FOMO, my fear of missing out was like sub-levels. And I was after like a couple of weeks of, you know, realizing this thing is going to, you know, take some time. I finally started checking off things on my to-do list to like hopefully catch up and not be behind the eight ball anymore and, you know, cut reels that I had been needing to cut for five, six years and build a website myself through Squarespace. I'm not like, you know, super smart, but, you know, I, I built a Squarespace website and, you know, did all that. And I finished projects that that were just lying there and I just started putting out content as much as possible to hopefully provide a healthy distraction and move myself forward and started looking for other opportunities to kind of further my business. And, um, and that was a really, you know, big moment for me where I was able to just kind of hustle 
and meet some people and, and, and hustle in those directions, start another possible TV show. That's a whole other conversation to begin with. But all those came out of the pandemic, two different food TV shows, both travel based, uh, came out of the pandemic. So in 2021 and 22, they started, I feel the, to turn the faucets on, you know, everybody was backlogged on production. People still weren't meeting in person as much, but events were popping back up. Conferences were popping back up, but not as much. Budgets were still very tenuous, but things were starting to open it up. And I know like professionally, the last two years are my best years I've ever had in my entire life. And it creatively, professionally, economically were incredible. I had a lot of clients, vendors, and opportunities that were like on the mark. They were ready to go. All I needed to do is just kind of follow up and show up. And just like last year, but worse this year, because the clients and the opportunities and all those things were way bigger and more lucrative, they started to fall systematically one by one. Started on January 4th. As soon as I got back to LA from Christmas, one by one, like cancels, pushes. No, we're good on this first quarter and second quarter. Follow back in the third quarter. Uh, yeah, I know we are going to hire you to do this thing in March for X, but uh, someone is going to do it for 75% less than you are. And we've already ex exercised our budget to its max. So we'll hold your information for further use, yada, yada, yada. This all started to happen very quickly. And that's what I've seen happen is a lot of, you know, I don't run a big Fortune 500 company. So this sounds really arrogant for me to say, but, you know, I saw a lot of fear-based decisions. A lot of fear-based decisions that reminded me of the pandemic. And I feel that a lot of people are taking the fear of recession, and that is the new COVID, where COVID was the excuse for everybody to cancel or shelter in place or safety at home or mask up or whatever kind of propaganda that was being proliferated at the time. Now it's fear of recession, fear of inflation. We're going to tighten up because we don't know what's going to happen. And possibly in the best scenario, I can see things opening up quarter three, quarter four, because there's a backlog, because there's a lack of staff and there's budget that hasn't been used and hopefully they're just going to release it. Just guesses, just guesses. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I've, I've seen budgets cut and questions that were never asked before about expenses becoming more prevalent in the conversation. So I think that's, I, I, I would agree. I've seen the same things um in business uh since you know really this past year so and to put a, a another point on that is you know so one of the things that i do that i you know that i have to hustle to you know for create new opportunities get jobs and thank god there's a lot of you know proximity to opportunity out here much like new york i mean that's why i live in los angeles is because it's the opportunity to get yourself into certain situations you know professionally is in my opinion better than anywhere else in the United States, arguably Miami, Atlanta, New York, but for me, LA, I troll a, a lot of Facebook groups. Facebook for me in social media, it sounds old, but it it's, it's really a lucrative part of my business. And I go through all these production groups. I mean, probably a dozen times a day, just check every hour on the hour because I've been able to net some really incredible opportunities and clients being just the first to respond or the first to DM and continue a conversation like the one I had yesterday. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but uh, bottom line is <clears throat> where normally now around March, you know, it, it's always slow January, February, you know, depending, 
March, April is when things usually start to ramp up. For the past three months, what I've seen is basically people dying to work. It's a fire sale on creatives. And normally in the summer, you'll see, hey, I'm a local cam op, IOTC 600. Uh, I just had a feature cancel, or I just wrapped up this TV show. I'm open for work for the entire month of August. People get at me. Hi, I'm a local HMU stylist here in LA. Had a last minute cancellation, so my entire year is open. <laughs> right? So this is now in every group multiple times a day. No opportunities, just people offering their services. And it's the only services I'm seeing offered are not like, they're not local-based opportunities for sure. They're in other markets, which is weird. And they're not in necessarily like the creative fields that I play in. Not to say a script supervisor is not creative or wardrobe is not creative. It's just not the creative I work. It's a lot of like the like the subsets of production that you see that people need roles filled. And those are like, to me, because I don't work them, they're odd jobs to yeah. me. So uh, that's what I'm seeing right now, which is really kind of strange. And it's and it's louder than it I've seen it in years past. And this is something I've been doing for about six years out here is just hit the digital ground running in these groups. And this is the worst I've ever seen it, to be honest. For me, I have like one or two main clients that give me, you know, 100% of my work. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I read those groups just because I, I do read a lot of stuff on Facebook just to see what's going on. But I, I'm not looking for those opportunities as much. But it sounds like you're more diversified in where the work comes from and, and uh, you know, how you maintain. I would like to be in a more stable environment um, instead of like a transactional based, you know, environment. I, I would like more steady clients, steady vendors, steady opportunities. I do have people that call me, you know, regularly and it's awesome. These are also not like high, you know, paying gigs. You know, these aren't like, oh, work a 10 day event, work and make 40 grand. So I, I don't have that luxury. These This could be like, you know, work a two day event for 1500 all in. That's rent, you know? So I have to do that 40 times a year. To 40 different clients. So I have had some very good high paying companies, agencies, and um, you know, think tanks and people like that that have blessed me for sure. But they just are few and far between. And I mean, even like one of my best guys back in DC works for an agency. We've done some great stuff. I've done political ads for him and PSAs. And we had a meeting back in uh January, February, and he was like, Hey, bud, he's like, I don't think anything's gonna happen until third quarter. I do have to spread my work base. I wish I had, especially at this point in my, you know, 20 almost years of my career, I wish I had more reliable and dependent um, clients to call. But everybody, I think, is also always attracted by this flash in the pan and the shiny new thing. And they're always looking for other people here and there and wherever. And that honestly is kind of the why I do a lot of, you know, just personal CRM. I'm just constantly probably to the annoyance of a lot is every month or three, I just check in. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can provide value to your organization? Even if it's just a recommendation, even if I don't get the job, can I help out a friend? Hey, I got someone, I'm not the guy, but I got a guy for you that can help you out. I'm happy to do that because that's how this thing works. It's referral based. Yeah. 
It's all referral based. And I believe in karma and, and, and it does come back around. And I've been very blessed with a lot of referrals from people um, and uh, just showing, improving and just kind of just doing the same thing over and over again. But I really wish, like you said, I wish I had just more core clients. Understood. Uh, I, I've been fortunate that way, but I do worry at the same time that, you know, if I were to lose one of the core clients, because, you know, things change. I was just talking to another producer friend of mine who I've known for, you know, 30 something years. And he also had a very steady corporate sort of, you know, freelance job, we kind of say permalance. But sure. uh, there was a changing of the guard internally. And the new internal producer is trying to flex their muscles a bit. So he, my friend, is uh, not getting as many calls. And, you know, he's of the age where he's looking to slow down a little bit anyway. But you always think in the back of your head, you know, okay, this is 90% of my eggs and the hen just left the coop. <laughs> I think a lot about evolution, you know, and Darwinism, you know, it's survival of the fittest. And I, you know, I, I know this, a lot of people probably share the same fear, but like I, I watched my career, you know, potentially disappear, you know, during COVID. Like, are we ever going to do photography again? Are we ever going to do film sets and like anything like this? Like, am, am I now obsolete? You know, and it, it really scared me. And, you know, a lot of my friends really doubled down on editing and like learning coloring and, you know, more remote based systems. I have friends that would put together light kits with GoPros and, you know, and Pelicans and they'd ship them to places and made crazy money doing stuff like that. But I actually just... I don't know, maybe I'm just very obstinate and hard-headed, but like I that I doubled down on my skills. And one of the things I wanted to learn during that time that was not part of my toolkit, but now is, was drones. And that's how I got into drones. It's something I'd always wanted to do. And it's what people have asked me, you know, a couple of times a year, do you do this? And I said, no, but what can I do if this ever happens again that people could use? People can use drones. So that that was kind of like my like kind of soft answer to you know that but I I I do you know unfortunately do live in fear you know a lot about my place and being replaced by the 21 year old with an iPhone 14. I mean I, one of my first jobs in LA was working for a studio that was catered to fostering only YouTube, TikTok, Instagram stars and working for 23 year old influencers was a challenge and it was something that i had to it was that was a wake-up call for me where it's like i don't want to ever be obsolete which is probably where the swiss army knife kind of comes in it's like fine you take away my editing great i'm still a producer you take away my producer i'm still a director okay fine you take that away i'm still a cam op oh you take that away i'm still a photographer you know it's like i have thankfully you know tools to kind of fall back on so you know, it's kind of like be a cockroach. Like you can't kill me. <laughs> and that's that's survival of the fittest, as as you said. And even and also to that point, also in the industry. That's why I don't, you know, and maybe this is my downfall too, or you know, just a negative. But so I don't rely just on working on you know films or short films or sizzles or TV shows or whatever. It's I do I can't speak broadcast. I've done live stream to IMAX. You know what I mean? I've done lighting i've done gripping like i don't want to do it but like i can work my way around a conversation and, and do those jobs as well 
So fine, you take that away, I can still do wedding. You take that away, I can still do bar mitzvahs. You take that away, I can still do corporate. You take that away, I can still do conferences. I can still do broadcast. You know, I can apply those tools to different industries if I really have to, which isn't maybe where I want to be, but at least it's still part of the makeup and the fabric of how I got here and what I would like to do. And that's not sit in an office. You you had mentioned uh, about, you know, creating content, being the owner of your own IP, which I've always said was the key to really making money. Because otherwise, essentially what you're doing is working for day rates. You know, when you boil it all down, unless you own the content and you're developing that that product, you're basically just working for day rates. I, I watch a lot of YouTube myself. Uh, and I've seen sort of the, the swell. I mean, there's so much content now on YouTube. And at first, people were just not sure what to do. They're still not sure what to do, but there's just so much content that they have to generate. They have to feed the machine. And and I would look at it from a production standpoint. I'm like, well, this this isn't good production. This is not good camera. This is not good editing. Like the jump cuts still bother me as an editor. But okay, it's content and some of it is interesting. But I felt now, I feel now that the the corner is sort of turned in the sense that these creators are struggling creatively to come up with fresh content and they're losing the essence that made them interesting in the first place. And so now I just feel like it's it's uh, quantity and not quality because I've thought, okay, maybe I could do some stuff on YouTube, but I felt almost like, well, it's oversaturated. And now I think it's maybe coming around where there's another potential wave of, you know, fresh, you know, content creators to to come about. The feed the machine is 100% accurate. Um, I believe everybody's just kind of spraying and praying. And it's just, it's all like gamification, right? Everybody is trying to game the algorithm. And the only way that I've read in, you know, my very limited research is you have to post more to get more. So that's where you're going to see that d- diluted quantity over quality. And I'm a quality over quantity person, 100%. And that just goes against every core fiber of my being. And even my mentor, Hugo, who I love very much is like, like you need to post more. You need to post more. And I'm like, I just don't. Sure. I mean, I can go back into my... 40 hard drives and my Pelican in there and I can pull stuff and I have been pulling stuff, but it's, I need to also concentrate on my business and making money and further my career instead of going back and trying to play this new game. Right. But the problem is because of Los Angeles, because of social media, because of all these places, they see how quote unquote easy it is. It's like, it's like a diet scheme. It's like slim fast, you know, they're like, Oh, all I need is seven to 10 days and I can have this and I can be a brand and I can be sponsored and have monetized channels and, and buy a McLaren and do X, Y, Z. And everybody can do it because everybody sees only the winners, right? And that's the problem. No one sees the people in the dirt every day that get 146 views, not 146,000, right? But that's something that even, here's another thing too. It's like, so this year, because of watching all these pillars fall in my own personal life, and uh, or a professional life rather and i've been very uh reliant on referrals and or or you know hustling on online or whatever maybe right but thankfully you know i had a lot of money saved la- last year that i'm now investing in myself 
because like you said earlier, I'm sick of working for other people and working for a day rate. I want to control myself. I want to control my destiny and my schedule a little bit more. So I started investing. I got a, um, a firm out of Arizona that does SEO and Google ads and backlinking, something I've never done before. And I, you know, got them going. And in the first couple of weeks, I started getting some really good hits. So I started investing in myself that way. The other thing I started to do is one of the only social media platforms that I've never had any sort of return on investment in, which is crazy, is Instagram. I have never booked a job off of Instagram. Not once. Facebook, tons. Uh, I work with a celebrity regularly because of a Twitter referral. Crazy. Emails, et cetera. Not Instagram. So what I started doing is, is started doing uh, reels, which are quote unquote on the way out. If you follow trends or whatever, you know, Instagram is supposed to be, you know, getting back to its quote unquote core and posting more photos. And that's what the algorithm wants these days. But I start doing these reels where I go direct to camera and I start talking about the BTS of what my work was or uh, a shoot. Like on St. Patrick's Day, I was in South by Southwest a bunch of years ago and I did two shoots. And one of them was hybrid, where I had to do photo and video at the same time and then cobble together a recap video from the second party. Well, one of those people that I shot became a superstar R&B singer who won tons of Grammys and travels the world. And he was, you know, nobody at that time. So I got to talk about that. And in ways of if I had just posted that myself, it would have gotten maybe 14 likes and you know maybe two to 400 views but i started paying for ads on instagram and now it's at like 7800 views and like 100 likes you know but i just paid 50 bucks just to get it in front of the right people and i read yesterday that instagram or meta makes like 20 billion dollars a year doing that it's just ad based revenue from people like me but that's something that you have to pay to play and that's something that I'm trying to kind of like lean into and invest in myself and try to find ways to cut through the mustard. How do I cut through the digital minutia of all of this? And, you know, YouTube, I feel it will hope for my, me personally will be next because what they're doing is uh, really emphasizing they're stealing, you know, the Instagram and TikTok model. They want YouTube shorts. So I'll take those, you know, 90 second videos and I'll post those to YouTube, but I haven't figured out or really invested any time in how to like concentrate my viewership there. I'm just, I'm starting with Instagram for right now. It's all I can handle with my bandwidth. That's probably a whole nother podcast is using the, <laughs> the social media as a pay, pay to cut through the minutia, which maybe, you know, we'll, uh, we'll do a follow-up uh, podcast on. So I've not gone down that road too much. I've done a little bit with Facebook, but it does interest me. But let's pivot for a, a few minutes yeah. and talk about uh, tools in your tool bag, so to speak. What are you using these days to create your your work? 100%. I'm glad you asked. And here's a shameless plug for Hopeful Sponsorship. I'm a Sony fanboy. <laughs> I love Sony. I love Sony. <laughs> No, I love Sony. Um, they're brilliant. Uh, I started off on a Nikon FM10, 35 millimeter. I still have it. It's my, you know, go-to film camera and my Holga. I love them very much. Um, I'll do those for, you know, personal projects and for fun. If I do a digital 
you know, environmental portrait shoot, I'll bring the, you know, the 35 with me and fire off some frames just to see what happens. Right. And uh, that's, those are fun tools. I'm going to take it with me in the, this weekend, I'm going to the desert to shoot some like ghost towns and abandoned, you know, like a water park that's abandoned and stuff like that. I love that grittiness, you know, and just adds just so much texture and character to like the California landscape and the sun and the dust. And anyway, but how I really make money is I use uh, Sony A7S3s. They are a near perfect balance of who I am and what I need as far as hybrid. Um, I own three of them and um, I have several G masters. I have the 16 to 35 F 2.8, the 24 to 70 2.8, 7, G master 2.8. And recently picked up a, uh, a 35, one, four, a 51, four, and an 85 G master one, four, uh, which are just dirty, dirty lenses. I love them very much. Uh, to get some good audio on the fly, my road shotgun mic is just so good. It's got a bass roll off on it. So it's just can really help, you know, minimize distortion when I'm shooting in the photo pit for a concert. You just literally set the internal to like one and you're just like almost peaking. But with AI Adobe, that new uh, audio software, you can clean up absolutely anything in that. So that's a brilliant tool. Um, I'm a big gimbal guy. Uh, I just picked up a, a brand new uh, DJI RS3, um, which is fantastic and lightweight and compact and super easy to balance. I still have my original RS, uh, which is great. I did build out a Cinerig for the A7S3 just for like a long term, you know, if I have to do like a long, you know, keynote or something like that, and have a couple bricks for that and, you know, some drumsticks and, and a follow focus just in case. Audio wise, two um, Gen I, uh, sorry, two Sennheiser G3 G4s, and those are you know also really great. Had them for absolutely so long. Um, I'll usually go in camera, but if I do have the luxury or an assistant, I'll bring my Zoom. I, I still have my original Zoom H4n. Didn't need to upgrade to a six channel. The four channel is perfect. You know, it's two audio inputs, and then you know headphones, and then the live you know live mics uh, for that. And then lastly. You know, besides some tripods and stabilizer and some other, you know, photo equipment, um, my main thing I use is my drone. It's the DJI Mavic Air 2S. It does 4K 60, um, does 24, it does 4K 30. And um, I think it's a one-inch CMOS sensor. And I think it's really great. I mean, I would love it Inspire if I could or, you know, anything like that. But, you know, or get a custom one and put a red on it. But, you know, for now, I just... It's broadcast capable and it looks great. And I just did a drone reel, you know, earlier in the year, one year of travel uh, from from 2022 and put that together. And I think it looks great. So those are kind of the building blocks that I use, you know, aside from, you know, the Adobe Suite to edit. I don't use much. I use Encoder a little bit. I use Premiere. I use Lightroom. When I do photo shoots, I'll tether my Sony to Lightroom and I run it through Smart Shooter 4 which recognizes the Sony system and you have to make sure you have to turn on PC remote. Otherwise you will not have the camera tether properly to the computer. <laughs> and uh, are you a PC or a Mac guy? I'm a Mac guy. I wanted everything to, to talk to each other. Um, I have the new M1. I love it very much. It's super fast. It's super buttery. It just cuts through footage. Um, I have an LG monitor. It's my secondary monitor. I'll, I'll edit on this and talk on this. Uh, I have an old MacBook Pro over here from 2017 that is just collecting dust, unfortunately. 
Don't know what to do with it. But uh, yeah, everything is streamlined off of this. I take it with me. I can take it on the road. I edit on the road all the time, whether it be photos or videos. And it's just, it's a really great, powerful tool. And that's also why I, I got all the Sony lenses. And when I first got my first Sony, which is the A7R II, like seven years ago or something like that, I had like a Sigma and a, like a Canon 104 to, or 24 to 104 F4 EF and with a Metabones. And those Metabones are awesome, but, and the autofocus is good, but like, I just, I didn't want to have like this cobbled together film kit. Like I wanted everything streamlined. I wanted it all to be the same. I wanted it all one manufacturer, right? It just, it looks professional. The tools are obviously incredible. So I think it's important to have your tools streamlined, personally. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Well, this has been a very uh, interesting conversation. Thank you for participating. Just tell everyone what your social media channels are. Absolutely. You can really find me Twitter, Facebook, or um, Instagram, like we talked about, is at Shawnee Cameras, S-E-A-N-N-I-E-C-A-M-E-R-A-S, Shawnee Cameras. And my website is www.shawneecameras.com. Spoiler alert, Vimeo, Shawnee Cameras. You can find me all there. Awesome. Shawnee, thank you very much. Thank you, Art. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.